At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we kick off the new year, we invite you to tune into our current series, The Forgotten Virtue, Learning to Love Again, where we'll discover how God defines love, Christ personifies love, and the Spirit empowers us to love one another. Together, we'll experience healing and hope in the love God designed for us, a love we carry through every season of life. Praise the Lord for that. I'm praying that God will allow this to be a season where our church just demonstrates a boldly different witness. We're living in a season of chaos where there's so many voices. Everyone is raising the volume, but how does our voice and our witness stand out? Well, today we're gonna talk a little bit about that as we continue on in our series and studying 1 John. Now, we've called this uh, series Forgotten Virtue, Learning to Love Again, because we recognize that along the way, in a fallen world, all of us have seasons of spiritual amnesia. That's my way of saying that we all go through moments where we forget who we are and whose we are. And if you're going to say that you're a Christian, if you are truly a follower of Christ, know this, that the distinguishing mark of the Christian life is love. It has always been that, and it will always be that, because God is love. Now, one of the mistakes that often is made when it comes to defining love is to open up a Bible and see that the Bible says we should love and allow the Bible to set the major theme, but then we close our Bible and we begin to define love based off of our perspective or our preferences, or better yet, our cultural norms. But how many know that Jesus not only gets to pick the menu, he also gets to choose the ingredients as well. How many believe that with me? So he not only gets to say what our agenda should be, that we should love, but he gets to define what love is. And so that's what this study has been about. We will always be in the school of the Spirit. We will always be studying the Word of God, growing deeper. And as we revisit what the Scripture teaches us about love, what we begin to do is fill in some of the gaps. We mature in our love, recognizing that all of us have space and ways and areas that we can grow in our love for God, in our love for our neighbors, and even in our love for one another as fellow followers of Jesus Christ. Now, one of the things that I shared last week that you maybe have never considered is that love requires hate. What do I mean by that? Well, there are two types of hate. There is good hate and there's bad hate. Let me tell you about good hate. Good hate is hating sin. Why? Because sin is a reproach to God. And because God is love, sin drives us from him. Sin separates us from him. Last week, we looked at Proverbs chapter 6, and there, uh, there is a list in verse 16 of uh, things that God calls an abomination, things that he hates, like haughty eyes or uh, a mind that plots evil things or hands that shed innocent blood. All of these things are an offense to God. It's a good thing to hate sin because sin uh, short circuits our ability to love. That is good hate. To hate sin is a good thing. But bad hate, and now listen to this, good hate hates sin, bad hate hates sinners. It's a good thing to hate sin, it's a bad thing to hate sinners. Now I just got myself into some trouble with some because we all have people that we struggle with loving, don't we? We all have people that we put into the category of the enemy. We all have people that we dislike or we find it hard to show compassion to. And those people would be people that we might be tempted to hate. 
But today we're going to talk to you about how God treats those that he would label as enemies. And if we're going to be his followers, that means we're going to have to learn how to treat our enemies like he treats his enemies. Now, I'm going to give this disclaimer before we go to 1 John chapter 3 from here to the rest of the sermon. If you don't like what I say, blame it on the Bible. 1 John chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 11 through 18 today. But verse 10 helps to give us context for the passage that we're going to look at today. It's in verse 10 where John wants to draw a clear distinction, a distinction between two groups of people, those that he calls the children of God and those that he calls the children of the devil. Now pause for just a moment and ask yourself, which one am I? Now, don't answer that too quickly because again, God not only gets to choose the menu, he gets to pick the ingredients. He doesn't just get a chance to define the themes, he gets to define the content of the themes. How do we know whether or not we are a child of God or a child of the devil? Well, he makes it very clear in verse number 10. Look at what he says. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil, okay? So now he's about to give us a litmus test to evidence whether or not we are children of God or children of the devil. He says, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Who does not love his brother. What motivates you? Your speech, your attitude, your actions, are you motivated by love or are you motivated by hate? This is one of the sobering passages of scripture because it helps me to understand that hate is not something to be played with. He ties hate to eternal life. He ties it to my status as a child of God or not. And because we have a tendency to be self-deceived, we are all prone to self-deception. No matter how long you've been walking with Christ, we have to look to the word of God to help us to know whether or not we are walking in love or in hate. It's a very dangerous thing to begin to walk in hate. Why? It's because hate destroys Hate is like lighting a flame, as one philosopher once said. And the interesting thing about this flame is that you may light it in one area, but hate cannot be contained. Once it is lit, it won't stop until it burns the whole thing down. We look at our nation and we wonder why there's so much rage, why is there so much anger, why is there so much rioting and protesting, why are people destroying property and lives, and should we be surprised? We're living in an age of outrage, and if you're on social media, it uh, makes matters even worse. Every study tells us that. It makes us even more angry. Every morning you wake up, you go to social media, and they'll give you 10 things to be angry about before you get to breakfast. This is the way that our world works. And the next thing you know, we have two categories of people, those we love and those we hate. But our God loved the world he loved the world so much that even when we were enemies of the cross, Christ died for us. Consider that for a moment. When we were on the wrong side of the cross, Christ showed us the greatest kindness. We'll come back to that in just a moment, but let's deal with this hate thing because I don't want us, and neither does John, to misunderstand what it looks like. So John, as only he can, 
gives us a clear definition or understanding of what hate is. Now notice John is pretty black and white. He's pretty uh, uh, direct. He doesn't have much gray area. Either you are a child of of God or you're a child of the devil. There's not much in between in the way that John thinks. And, And I believe that this kind of straight talk is important for us in our day. Look at what he says about hate. He'll show us how hate takes. He says this, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates the brothers is a murder hates his brother rather is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. These are strong words. But these are not new words. What John wants to make clear is that I'm not coming up with a new teaching, a new ethic, a new framework. I'm not coming up with a new uh, gospel. He says in verse number 11, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning. From the beginning of what? The beginning of the gospel. And who lays out the beginning of the gospel? It is Jesus. From the very beginning, Jesus defined his movement by an unearthly love. Jesus defines his movement by a love that seems to be foreign to the way we typically treat each other. Jesus' love is not just a love based off of reciprocation or a love that is meritorious based off of works. And we better be glad that it isn't because if we check our resumes, if that was the case, how many can admit that none of us would deserve his love? If it was based off of my performance or yours, then the Bible has already issued its verdict All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is why I say that bad hate hates sinners. And when I say that, it's tempting to think, oh, he's telling me not to hate the guy down the street or not to hate the guy who thinks differently than me. No, what I'm saying, if we properly understand the gospel, how many know we're all sinners? We're all sinners that are saved by grace. We're all sinners. But yet he loves us. This is the message that we heard from the beginning. By this shall all men know you are my disciples and that you love one another. Now what what makes this so interesting to me is not just the content, but the, the writer of the content. Consider for just a moment who's writing this. It is John. And when we see John in the Gospels, he is not introduced to us as some compassionate, nice, soft, kind, friendly guy. John is edgy. He is rough. He is angry. He knows his enemies and he wants them destroyed. If you need proof of this, keep your finger there and go with me quickly to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter nine gives us but one scene out of the life of our dear brother John, who just told us to love, to love and to not hate. Look at John in verse 51. We'll start in Luke nine, verse 51. And this is a scene when Jesus was uh, getting ready to go to Jerusalem. He's getting ready to pass through a Samaritan village. They reject him. And look at how John responds to that. Verse 51, when the days drew near, for him to be, uh, to be taken up, this is referring to Jesus, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. 
And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparation for, preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. In other words, he was uh, intent to go to Jerusalem and they did not want him to pass through. If you're going to spend time in Jerusalem, you don't pass through here. Why? Because the Samaritans hated the Jews, the Jews hated the Samaritans, and the feeling was mutual. And it goes on to say in verse number 54 how James, I mean, John responded. It says, and when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Now, I said that without laughing. I don't know what gave those boys the thought that they had that type of power, but apparently they thought they did. And here's their response. Do you want us to call fire down and destroy them, Sodom and Gomorrah style, Jesus? And here's what Jesus says to them, but he turned and rebuked them. My friends, maybe you can, I know I can, kind of relate to James and John just a little bit. Have you ever had somebody that you'd be okay if God wiped out? You don't have to say amen to that. Just look straight ahead and just say, ouch. If they're with you especially, look straight ahead. They'll never know it was them. Have you ever had a group of people that you said, the earth would be better if they were not here? Or maybe my neighborhood, or maybe my city, or maybe my nation would be better if they were not here. Let's think about this for a moment. The Samaritans got the gospel wrong. So we know if they got the gospel wrong, that means that they got ethics wrong. And if they got ethics wrong, that means that they got social interactions wrong. And if they got social interactions wrong, that means that they uh, probably got treating people wrong. This is just a wrong people through and through. And so what John says is, Jesus, it would be better if these people were destroyed. And there's a part of us that sympathizes with that. We can laugh at the text, but yet there's a part of us that sympathizes with this sense that God, the world would be better if you purged society from these people, whoever these people are in our hearts, or this person. Hate is a very tempting thing. And it would almost be justified from a rational perspective who doesn't want to wipe out evil except for verse 55, Jesus looks at them and he rebukes them. In other words, Jesus says, maybe you've misunderstood, but our movement is not like any other movement. We don't retaliate evil for evil. No, 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 boys, you, you've misunderstood. Our goal is not to wipe out our enemies. I didn't have to come to wipe out the enemies. You know, God did this whole thing again. Simon and Gomorrah, I could have stayed in heaven. I didn't have to come down here, live a sinful life, die on the cross. I came to rescue people. And so what should we do when we see that people are on the wrong side of everything? What should that provoke within us? Mocking, hatred, anger, a prayer for God's judgment? Or should it provoke us to love, to intercede more fervently, to pray that the same grace and mercy that changed our hearts, that they would encounter that same grace and mercy so that they might be saved? Be careful when you start putting people in categories of irredeemable. 
because someone could have put us into that category. But how many know that there is no sin on earth that's greater than what he did on Calvary? How many praise God that he is able to save the worst of sinners? Paul says that he is kind and patient with the worst of sinners of which I am. Of which I am. Praise God for his grace and his mercy. This is hard to live out. What takes someone, consider this, what takes someone from being a son of thunder to being an apostle of love? By the time we encounter John in this writing, he's gone from being the son of thunder, praying for fire to rain down, to being an apostle of love. If we go back to chapter three of 1 John, 47 times in these five chapters, he, he talks about love. It's no questioning what the main theme of this little epistle, this little letter that we call 1 John is, it's love. What causes a person to be transformed like that? It's an encounter with the living Christ and the teachings of the gospel growing in our hearts. John didn't get it the first time, neither, neither the Peter or the rest of those guys. It took time for the word of God to grow in them. And it's true for us as well. I know it's true for me. I don't preach this at you. I have the difficult and unenviable task of sharing a perfect gospel, knowing how imperfect my life is. But I stand next to you as your brother in Christ to say, Lord, it's us, it's me that's in the need of prayer. He gives us an illustration because he knows that just telling us the proposition is not enough. So here's the illustration. Verse number 12, we should not be like Cain. We should not be like Cain. That sums up the whole message. We shouldn't be like Cain. How many, how many have ever heard of this Cain guy before? How many of you show of hands, you've heard of him, right? Genesis chapter four, Chris Brooks's paraphrase, Adam and Eve has two boys initially, Cain and Abel. Cain offers a sacrifice to the Lord. Uh, don't know all that provoked it. What we do know is that it wasn't acceptable in God's eyes. It was done more out of duty than out of desire. It wasn't done out of passion. He just kind of put together an offering trying to meet the bare minimum. And God looks at his sacrifice and says, is this what you would offer? to a holy God, the one who gave you life. And then a little bit later, his brother Abel offers his sacrifice. And the Bible says that Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice. I don't think so much it was about content as it was about heart. Abel gave his best. By the way, parenthetical statement, that gives us a lot of insight into how our disposition should be in worship. When we come to worship the Lord, to serve the Lord, he deserves our very best. Why? Precisely because he gave us his very best. How many thank God that God so loved the world that he gave, gave what? His only begotten son. He gave us his best and he deserves our best. And so what is uh, Cain's response to God's pleasure with Abel? Abel wasn't walking around bragging. It was just simply that Cain was envious or jealous. This is what hatred produces. Hatred always causes us to begin to see the better treatment that somebody else is getting than us. It provokes envy and it causes us to say, that's not fair. I don't like the distinction here. But God had made the distinction himself. And what did it ultimately cause Cain to do towards his brother? Instead of saying, man, I could learn from this guy, instead of entering into dialogue with him, instead of treating him like a brother, he killed him. He murdered him. 
And my problem is, is that I can feel so far from Cain. My problem is, is that when I look into the mirror, I don't see Cain. When I look at my heart, I often am blind to the Cain-type ways in my own life. I would never kill my brother. But what John is driving home is that hating your brother is the same as murdering your brother. To hate is to murder. And this becomes very important for us in the church, in the household of faith, because the Bible calls us a spiritual family. I'm your brother. You're my brothers and sisters in Christ. And so in as much as we are brothers and sisters in Christ, I'm called to love you. And Satan knows the power that happens when we love each other. Folks, when we get this love thing down, it will be the greatest attractional thing we will have to the Christian faith. We won't have to get commercials or billboards or do any type of marketing. All we gotta do is love one another well. To love one another with that Christ-type love, that sacrificial love that's laying it all on the line for one another, that shows up in the middle of the night when we need one another, that forgives one another, and oh, by the way, that loves one another across differences. You see, this is the power of the gospel. It is when we're able to reach across distances and Satan doesn't care how he divides us. He'll divide us along generational lines, geographical lines, gender lines, ethnic lines, political lines. He doesn't care. He just wants there to be a civil war because the house divided against itself cannot stand. If every one of us turns to Cain, he can take a vacation. So what do you do with those people who hate you and those people that you hate? Verse 13, do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. You're gonna have haters. All of us are gonna have haters. And we're gonna be tempted to retaliate. We're gonna be tempted to respond to hate with hate. Tomorrow we celebrate the life of one of the greatest Americans that this nation has ever produced, in my humble opinion, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. I jokingly call him, praise God. I jokingly call him the most tweetable leader in American history because just about everything he says is quotable. One of his famous quotes is that darkness can't drive out darkness. It takes light to do that. And hate can't drive out hate. It takes love to do that. If we think we're going to defeat our enemies by behaving like our enemies, then we've missed the point of John. Verse number 14. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Strong words by an apostle. Don't be like Cain. That's the big point. Don't be like Cain. Be like Christ. Don't follow Cain, follow Christ. Don't treat people like Cain, treat people like Christ treated people. Now let me just distinguish here for just a moment the difference between liking and loving. I'm not saying that to love means that you just overlook a fault and and not call out the truth of the sin. I'm not saying that love is compromise. You can challenge people in love. How many have ever heard of tough love, right? Sometimes you have to tell people an inconvenient truth but you do it because you love them. 
That has to be what motivates. And it's always with a hope of redemption, a hope that today will be the day that they will get it. Today will be the day that their hearts will change. Doesn't mean that you even have to like everything about them, like everything they do or like everything that they say. You can love someone without liking them. And every parent in here said, amen. You can't be a great parent if all you think of is love must mean that I like everything. No, there are times when you're a parent and you say, I don't like your attitude right now, but I'm still gonna love you. I don't like the way you're behaving right now, but I'm still gonna love you. That's the key to a friendship. That's the key to a marriage. And yes, my friends, that's the key even to parenting. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great British preacher, says that love is not just increased degrees of liking. Love is an altogether different thing. Here's a quote from D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He says, love overcomes obstacles and excuses. It sees beyond what it does not like and minimizes it in order to see the person who is at the back of it. To love those whom we do not like means that we treat them as if we did like them. This is what love looks like, and it is so foreign in our day. It's so foreign to fallen humanity. What love looks like is to treat someone you dislike as if you like them. Kind of reminds me of a story of a woman who walked into a church one day and she was uh, being approached by another woman who she knew hated her guts. I mean, these two women went to the same church, but every week they gave each other the death stare. You know what I'm talking about. And so one woman comes up to the other and she embraces her and she gives her a hug. And she's thinking in the back of her mind, what in the world is going on? What made her hug me? She was totally overcome by intrigue until the pastor opens the service and says, how many did their homework from last week when I told you to go to somebody you can't stand and love them? And then it all made sense. <laughs> love and like are two different things. Sometimes you might have to grit your teeth as you wash someone's feet. Sometimes you might have to uh, hold your breath as you embrace someone and take a, a deep breath and say, Christ, if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be doing this. How many have some things in your life that you say, Christ, if it was not for you, I would not be able to do this. How many thank God that he empowers us by his spirit to do what we could not do in and of ourselves. The reason why we're able to love one another is not because of the power that's in us, but the power that's in him. So now we've dealt with hate, what does love look like? Well, verses 16 through 18 tells us, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the, uh, the, uh, the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. Love is an action. Love is not just articulation, it is action. What good is it for me to say I love you and to uh, see you have need and not to respond to it? No, love causes me to look for your need. We need to look for one another's needs and um, in gathering and in scattering. When we're together in gatherings like this, don't think it's by mistake. When we come into places like this, we should come not just for our own edification. I hope you enjoy worship. I hope the word has uh, meant a lot to you, but you're not just here for you. When you come in, you should be looking for opportunity to care for someone else. 
You should look for an opportunity to encourage someone else, and maybe with a smile, maybe it's uh, with a prayer. But, but we ought to look for ways that we can serve one another. And then if we can do that with, uh, uh, with this family, it enables us to do it with our neighbors. We've been reading this book, Place for a Purpose, that tells us that our address is not a mistake. Where you live is not uh, a haphazard reality. It is intentional. God placed you there for you to love and pray for your neighbors. We live in a little cul-de-sac, and we've committed that this week, uh, each day we're gonna pray for one of our neighbors and think of ways we can show them uh, kindness and love. And, and other people are doing that to, uh, for us. Uh, we had a Woodside member who lives not too far from us. They've been going through the book and they called us yesterday and they said, hey, Pastor Chris, can we cook dinner? My wife and I would love to cook dinner for you and your family. And I'm thinking they didn't know how big my family was. So I quickly said yes. <laughs> and then they asked a question that they should have asked on the front end, how big is your family? And I said, there are seven souls in this house and we all love to eat but they were already on the hook and they fulfilled their promise. So they brought over this amazing dinner and they cooked all of these things that are like amazing. And I've been on this modified uh, kind of diet and I'm looking kind of jealous. And so I decided that yesterday would be a cheat day, uh, just like all the other days of the week. <laughs> but it was a beautiful thing. This is what it looks like to neighbor well. But Jesus is pushing us further. He's not asking us just to love those who have already been kind to us. What difference does that make? How do I look different if I just cook dinner for those who cook dinner for us? That's reciprocation. Jesus wants us to go further. One final passage and then I'll be done. Go to Matthew chapter five. And in Matthew chapter five, verses 43 through 48, we see the Jesus type of love. Verse 43 of Matthew chapter five, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. That's how they took the, the, the commandment from Leviticus to love our neighbor. They had twisted it to love your neighbor but hate your enemy. In other words, if they cook dinner for you, you cook dinner for them. My friends, there's no power in that. Look at verse number 44. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. What does that look like? What does it look like for me to cook dinner for somebody who's on the wrong side of my ethics, on the wrong side of my view of social order, on the wrong side of my view of the way that people should act or treat or behave? What does that look like for me to serve my neighbor even though they may have a different faith than me? What does that look like? When was the last time we prayed for those who were persecuting us and not just prayer for fire to rain down on them, but prayer for grace and mercy, the same grace and mercy we received. Verse number 45, we should live this way, why? So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Man, God, this doesn't make sense to me. Why wouldn't you just withhold your rain from them or your son from them? And God's response is, if I withheld it from them, I would have had to withhold it from you. Don't ever forget from which you have come. Don't ever forget that but by the grace of God, there go I. Verse 46, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? 
Everybody knows the rule of I scratch, you scratch your, my back and I scratch yours. We're called to go further. Verse 47, and if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do that. You therefore must be perfect, mature, as your Father in heaven is perfect. I said earlier that if you didn't like what I said, blame it on the Bible. The fact of the matter is, is all of us live up under this, this weight that we can't live up to. I can't, you can't. We all have people that it's hard to apply this to. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need the Lord, because it's Christ in us that allows us to live this way. This is why I'm a believer. I follow him because I need him, because I can't love not only my enemy, I can't love my neighbor, I can't love my family, I can't love my wife, my kids, myself, without his love in me. So if you don't know Jesus today, I would encourage you to give your life to him. If you're watching us online, I would love for you to type connect and one of our team members will follow up with you. If you're in the auditorium today, after I pray, we'll close and worship. And then if you need a relationship with the Lord, please come to the front. Or if you find that your family needs extra prayer today, you need extra prayer, we're here to pray for you. Everybody stand. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. The tender and tough love you show us, the truth, the grace. We're humbled by it. We wanna be like you. We need your help to be like you. Lord, keep reminding us of what love looks like. Keep forgiving us when we don't measure up. Help us to be boldly different because how can we call the world to your love if we can't love one another? And so Lord, we give you our hearts. We thank you for loving us. We give you praise. And all God's people said a big amen. Come on and give God praise today. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.